It's a joy to be back at the Master's College, to be part of the lively worship of the living God, to be part of the chapel experience here, to see a contemporary expression of our love and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ in music and in song, and yet to realize in the lyrics and in the expression of that, there's an understanding of our standing before God on the basis of the atonement and the basis of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's just a joy to be back. It's hard to believe that we'll be almost be two years here in the United States by Christmas. Uh, we left the city of Belfast to come, as Dan has said, to study and to pastor at the same time. And uh, we are being enriched by that, and I trust we are enriching others. I want to pay tribute to the Master's College this morning because I know on behalf of my wife and my children that this school has played a part in helping us settle. That's true pastorally and that's true personally. It's been a tremendous encouragement over the last couple of years to see an increasing number of students from the college here to come to Placerita Baptist. And that has brought a new life and encouragement to me and our elders and to our congregation and uh, we trust indeed that uh, we'll continue to build that bridge and that basis of fellowship with the school. I've also benefited personally. Your own president has been a friend and a mentor to me. Uh, during the summer, I had a wonderful opportunity to go back with John to Belfast and then to Glasgow, which are two cities deep in my heart, seeing that I was born in Belfast and my wife was born and raised in Glasgow. And it was just wonderful to be part of that ministry trip. I've also been able to get to know your professors here, and they have proved to be uh, friends and uh, confidence, and I appreciate that. And I must say, too, I find the student body also welcoming and warm, and I want to thank you, those that uh, perhaps stop and talk to me on the campus. I do appreciate that, and I seek on my own behalf to befriend you. I want to thank the soccer team for allowing me to play in the preseason games. I get to play soccer once a year. It takes me the rest of the year to get over the game. And uh, I do appreciate that. I'm made so welcome. I haven't been left to feel like the Irishman who came to the United States and was caught in an act of criminality. He was sentenced to death by the electric chair. And as they were binding him to the chair, the uh, officer in charge said, Sir, have you any last requests? And he said, Yes, would somebody hold my hand till it's all over? Well... Since I've come to the United States, I haven't lacked a hand to hold or someone to befriend, and I want to thank you and the school and uh, the student life for inviting me this morning. Presently at the church at Placerita, um, I'm preaching through the book of Proverbs. Can I just announce in a couple of weeks on Sunday evening, starting September the 22nd, I hope to begin a series of studies on Roman Catholicism. Because I've pastored in Belfast in Ireland, I have had to interface quite a bit with Catholics and Catholic theology, and because of the evangelical Catholic accord and and what seems to be happening across the evangelical world and church, I'm I'm concerned about a shift in our understanding of that system. And uh, if you would benefit from those studies, you'd be most welcome. They're beginning the 22nd of September and Sunday evenings at Placerita at 5 o'clock, and they'll take us right through to, to Christmas. I have to take... 10 or 12 studies in that. But in the mornings, we're looking at the book of Proverbs. Nuts and bolts theology. And uh, someone has made this comment on life. By and large, we know how to make a good living, but we don't know how to make a good life. 
We can get where we're going faster than our forefathers, but we have nothing to do when we get there. We have learned to save time, but we don't know what to do with it. We have gained more knowledge than any other generation, but in our eagerness to learn, we have missed truth itself. We have everything to live with and nothing to live for. This is a generation that needs to get back to the basics, to the nuts and bolts of living. And that's why I've been enjoying in my own heart, and I believe our congregation has been inspired by a series of studies in the book of Proverbs. Because, you see, the book of Proverbs is given by God to redress that imbalance. At the heart of the concept of wisdom is this thought, skill for living. God wants us to live at a profit. And that profit will come when you and I exchange our foolishness for His wisdom. God wants us to enjoy the game of life. But the game of life must be played according to His rules. And the book of Proverbs is God's rules for living. And I want to get down to the nitty-gritty. As the Student Life Department sent me the letter of invitation, which I gladly received, they, they reminded me of the purpose of chapel. It's to build the interior structure of the college and to build the bond of the student body. And I want to preach this morning on friendship. On friendship. Because I want to tell you, my friends, this morning, if this school could be a true society of friends, what a witness it would be to this community in Santa Clarita. That if anyone was to visit the campus or meet you off campus and watch how you interact with each other as companions and friends and a fraternity of students, they would go away seeing, see how they love one another? If we here at Masters College could be a true society of friends, what a witness to the community. And I believe God would come into this campus with a fresh blessing. Because Psalm 133 tells us when brothers and sisters dwell in unity, God commands the blessing, life everlasting. And so turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 17 and verse 17. Proverbs 17, verse 17. And if you want a a title to my sermon this morning, it's simply this, The Best of Friends. We're going to learn this morning from the book of Proverbs how to be the best of friends. This is our text. A friend loves at all times, and the brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, and the brother is born for adversity. I was reading just recently a story connected to Howard Hendricks It took place during his years of ministry in Dallas when he was the chaplain to the Dallas Cowboys. And he relates after one football practice how he came into the locker room and most of the guys had left. But one of the players sat alone on the bench with his his head cupped in his hands. And Howard Hendricks went alongside him. He turned to Hendricks and said, Doc, I can't tell my friends from my enemies. I've just been swindled of $75,000 by someone I considered a friend. He went on to say, it would be wonderful if I had a friend 
whose primary concern was not my number or my name, but just me. A few years ago, Papa Rogers was in the middle of a terrible season as football coach with UCLA. It even got so bad that it upset his home life, and he recalls, my dog was my only friend. I told my wife that a man needs at least two friends, and so she bought me another dog. Do you know what? These two stories, these illustrations, highlight for you and me the inescapable truth that men and women need friendship. That's a universal impulse that straddles every border and lives within every heart. To deny this or to relegate this is to overlook a basic human factor. In fact, the Lord's first statement about His creation and His creature man was, it is not good for the man to be alone. Human beings, you and I, were created by God with an appetite for relationships, friendships, and companionships. No man is an island. And to make this thing called life work, we've got to get a handle on friendship. We've got to learn how to lean and support, relate and respond. And just as Rogers and Hammerstein needed each other, you need a friend. In fact, by way of introduction, would you please note with me that when God was on earth in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, He lived to prove this fact. The Lord Jesus Christ in His life didn't deny this basic humanity. Jesus placed great value on relationships. He chose to spend much of His time deepening connections with a few significant people rather than addressing the crowds. He loved everyone, but He had His friends. There were twelve disciples that were His friends. Out of that twelve, there were three, the inner circle, who became special friends. And within that inner circle, there was one called the beloved disciple, who in dramatic expression of that friendship could put his head on the breast of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, Christ's heart beat love and friendship towards Him. Jesus loved many people, but there was one home where He would often stay. It was the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And we can see from the Gospel accounts and from tracking the life of the Lord Jesus Christ that He had His special friends. He had His favorite places. And to deny your need of friendship this morning is to deny a basic human trait that God has placed innately in your character and in your makeup. Life without a friend, as someone has said, is death without a witness. Friendship. That's universally agreed upon. Friendship. The fact and the need of it is practically manifest. Men and women are poorer if they're not being enriched by friends. You know this, our illness goes up when we lack friends. Research has shown that friendship is healthy. Loneliness and isolation is detrimental to our well-being. And in the light of what we have just said in terms of God's created order, that shouldn't come as a surprise. We were made for companionship and friendship and relationship. 
1983, the Californian State Department of Mental Health studied 7,000 adults from the ages of 30 to 59. One of the dynamics under investigation in the study was the correlation between friendship and health. The researchers found that people without long-term friends have two to five times the more normal mortality rate for their age group and experience higher than normal incidence of cancer, heart disease, circulatory disease, and other ailments. Now, please don't misunderstand me. That isn't to say that people with few friends will undoubtedly get sick and those who have many friends will undoubtedly be immune from illness. There are many factors that contribute to our state of health, either good or ill. But this study shows, it gives us at least a statistical connection between loneliness and a tendency towards decreased health and vitality. Bottom line, friends are good for you. They're a gift from God, and it is something that you should pursue earnestly and seriously. And look to the Word of God as your guide and your compass. Through friends, or through the lack of friends, our illnesses go up and our usefulness goes down. It's a fact, it's a fact that our lives would be rather blunt without the sharpening effect of friendship. As iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of a friend. Proverbs 27, 17. Useful friends make it their business to make us more useful. Men rise to certain heights in life by standing on the shoulders of their friends. If we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, and we track his life especially as Luke reveals it and records it in the book of Acts, you realize that this spiritual giant lent heavily upon missionary co-workers for companionship and friendship. We look to the Apostle Paul as a towering figure. But this towering figure rested on the solid foundation of biblical friendship. Someone commenting on his life, Harrington Lee, in his book, Paul's Friends, said this, Paul could toil at the loom. He could deal and take hard blows in the fight. He could emerge smiling at the close if only someone was with him. He worked more effectively when he had some co-workers with him. And he was uneasy without them. In fact, in Acts 17, verse 14 to 16, there is recorded the first and almost the only time Paul found himself apart from Christian workers. And you'll soon realize that quickly he asked for Titus and Silas to return. He knew that his usefulness, he knew that his strength, his effectiveness was bound up in a fraternity and a society of fellow workers and Christian friends. Young people, life is meant to be lived together with others. Failure to appreciate their gifts, failure to appreciate their counsel, their rebuke, their encouragement will cause you to go through life with one hand tied behind your back. To reach our goals in life, we need the push and we need the pull of Christian friends. God created us for friendship. Without that ministry in our lives, illness goes up, usefulness goes down. Now that's the theory, that's the theology. That's the principle, and I doubt that few of you wouldn't sign up to it this morning. But let's move from the principle to the practice. We all agree that friendship is strategic 
and central to a life well lived and service well rendered, then what is it to be a friend? How can you spot them? How can you be one? Well, I want us to turn to Proverbs 17, 17, and there's three things as time allows this morning I want to camp upon. See, if I was to ask you how many friends you have, you would immediately answer, Pastor, quite a few. But if you and I could sit down for a few minutes and probe that answer a little longer, I think you'd come back, you know, you have many acquaintances, but you have few friends. Because there's certain characteristics that mark friendship. And my friend, we're going to find them in this verse. A friend loves at all times. First of all, consider with me the circle of friendship. Consider the circle of friendship. It's assumed in the text of Scripture that we exist and we exert within a circle of friends. Each one of us this morning live and move and have our being in a connected web of friendships and relationships. When we read God's Word, we see Moses. We think of Moses, we think of Joshua. We see David and think of David, we think of Jonathan. When we think of Daniel, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Our lives are lived within a circle and a fraternity and a society of friends. As we think about the circle of friendship, a couple of things become apparent. First of all, what I'm calling the rule of development. The rule of development. Turn with me to Proverbs 18, verse 24. If you've got a King James or a New King James, you'll be able to connect with what I'm about to say. 18.24 says, A man who has friends must be friendly. Now, if you have an NIV or a New American Standard Version, you'll see this verse differently rendered. I'll come to that in a moment. But just for the moment, I want to leave the translation as it stands within the King James and the New King James. He who would have friends must be friendly. That's the rule of development. If you want to expand and develop this circle of friendship, here's the rule that governs the relationships. What is it? Simply put, it is this. To have a friend, you must be a friend. Before you go looking for friends this semester, look at yourself. Because that's where friendship begins. It begins in your heart. He that will have friends must show himself friendly. Are you the kind of person deserving of friendship? Is there a quality about your living that would prove attractive and appealing to others? Is there a nobility about your character that would cause others to move towards you? Proverbs 22, verse 11, here's what it says. A wonderful verse. He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips. Listen, the king will be his friend. My friend, if you have a pure heart, and there's grace upon your lips, in life and language, there's something attractive and appealing about you. Even kings will be your friend. So to have friends, you must be a friend. Friendship begins in your heart. That's the rule of development. You know, we make this mistake continually. We believe that friendship depends upon meeting the right person. And maybe that's the way you're thinking as you settle into your dormitory or you go about the campus. You're looking around and you're saying, you know, I wonder if he's the right person or she's the right person to be my friend. But friends this morning 
That's not the issue. It's certainly not the initial issue. It's certainly not the kernel of the matter. The right question is, am I the right person? Am I the right person? For the Word of God says, he that will have friends must show himself friendly. There's a wonderful expression of this in 1 Samuel 19, verse 1, in a classic friendship between David and Jonathan. You read concerning Jonathan's fondness towards David that Jonathan greatly delighted in David. And the connotation of the Hebrew is there was something attractive about the character and manner of David's life that brought Jonathan towards him. For David to have Jonathan as his friend, there was something about his life that made him a friend. There was an attractiveness. There was a magnetic character. By way of application, young people this morning, when we lack friends, normally, normally it's saying something about us. It's saying something about us. Perhaps we're not delightful and attractive in character and in heart. There's not a purity of heart. There's not a grace upon our lips and life. People don't stay long around people who are happy to stay the way they are. For such people, friendship proves fruitless because they have a withered spirit and a, a barren character. Is that you this morning? Because if you're to have friends, you must be friendly. And you must develop your character, your heart, and the way you live. And if you want to do that and you're in the process of doing that as you ought to be, then the Lord Jesus Christ is the model. And the fruit of the Spirit is the characters, characteristics and traits that you want to produce in your life. You want to yield to God the Word, the Spirit, the providences of God so that He creates in you a faithfulness, a love, a goodness, a gentleness, so that your life is laden with these fruits and your life becomes attractive for those who are hungry and thirsting for a true friend. My friend, if the Christmas Spirit can do it in the life of Ebenezer Scrooge, the Holy Spirit can do it in your life. You know, he had no friends. If you read Dickens' novel, you'll find that, that when he walked, the very blind dogs taking the blind down the street would move into the doorway of a shop to avoid him. The kids would run from him. No one would stop him in the street and say, Ebenezer, you know, we haven't seen you for a while. You'll have to come over. But that was before his conversion. That was before his encounter with the spirit of Christmas. And when that spirit changed him, Dickens goes on to say he became a good friend as good a master, as good a man, as good as in the old city knew, or any other good old city town or borough in the good old world. My friend, to have friends you must be a friend and you must yield to the process of sanctification. Seek to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek for the branches of your life to be laden with goodness and faithfulness and love and the characteristics that mark the Christian so that in having those attractive traits, others will be attracted to you. That's the rule of development. I want to say something quickly because I want to move on. There's not only the rule of development when it comes to the circle of friendship. 
there's the rule of discernment. The rule of discernment. Turn with me to Proverbs 13 and verse 20. Proverbs 13 and verse 20. Listen to what it says. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Chapter 12 and verse 26 reads, The righteous shall choose his friends carefully. We all live within a circle of friendship. But I want to ask a question because you will ask it. Who ought to be included in that circle? Well, the Word of God tells us, those who we have chosen carefully. Those who are wise and godly. Because we will walk with the wise, we won't be companions to fools. The gate to the garden of friendship is not an open one. It's under lock and key. Because it might come as a surprise to you this morning, but the Bible teaches that not everyone is worthy of my friendship or your friendship. Not everyone is worthy of that. Friendship is a walled garden. It's not an open field. And the righteous chooses his friends carefully. Why? Because friends have a powerful influence on us. How we think, how we act. The New Testament picks up this theme and says, you know, bad company spoils good ethics. The old Chinese proverb observes, he who lies down with dogs gets up with fleas. You know, there are some people who should be the target of our affections and there are those we should just wave by. Just wave them by. Because as we look at the Word of God and look at them, they're fools. They're not wise. And we will carefully choose our friends. I haven't time this morning to go into it. If you're taking notes, jot these down and you can get the tape and take your time to work through the material. But there's five categories of people the Word of God in the book of Proverbs tells us to avoid. Those who trade and gossip. Proverbs 20, verse 19. Those who blow their stack readily. Proverbs 22, verse 24 and 25. Those who change like the wind. Proverbs 24, verses 21 to 22. Those who are in self-indulgent. They've got to be the center of attraction. Center stage with a spotlight. The self-indulgent, give them a pass. Proverbs 28, verse 7. And those who are sexually loose. Proverbs 29, verse 3. In all of those verses, we're told to avoid that type of person. We're told to avoid the company of fools, the gossip, the, the, one, the one who loses his temper and anger quickly, the one who is, who is fickle and changes like the wind, the self-indulgent and the sexually loose. We must separate ourselves from them. Friendship is to be discriminating. We're often indiscriminate in choosing our friends. But the Word of God says, A wise man walks with the wise, but to keep company with fools will bring you to ruin. So, not only take the rule and develop your friendships, watch this rule and, and be discerning. A farmer was troubled by a flock of crows in his cornfield, and so he loaded his shotgun and crawled unseen along the fence row, determined to get a shot at the crows. Now, the farmer had a very sociable parrot who made friends with everybody. 
seeing the flock of crows, the parrot flew over and joined himself to them just to be sociable, you know. And so the farmer didn't see the, the parrot among the crows and he carefully took aim and bang. The farmer crawled over to the fence to pick up the fallen crows and lo and behold, there was the parrot badly ruffled with a broken wing but still alive. Tenderly, he took the parrot home where his children met him. Seeing that their pet was injured, they tearfully asked, What happened, Papa? Before he could answer, the parrot spoke up, Bad company. Bad company spoils good morals. George Lawson is a Scottish divine who I've been reading consistently in my studies of Proverbs. He makes a telling point when he says this, I quote, A healthy man cannot communicate his health, but a sick man can spread his disease. My friend, pick friends who will stretch you and deepen you in God. Let's move on to consider not only the circle of friendship, but what we might call the character of friendship. What's at the very heart of friendship? What makes friendship tick and work and go and be what God intended it to be? Well, it's quite clear in the text. A friend loves. That's the character of friendship, love. A friend will love us. The roots of friendship go deep into the soil of love. It's the anchor that holds friendship in place. My friend, this morning, I want you to realize that there are no bargain friendships. No bargain friendships. Friendship requires the investment of costly love. Let's go back to Proverbs 18.24. And consider the alternative translation of this text. And if you've got an NIV or an NASV, you're going to see it in your Bible. I'm playing both sides of the fence when it comes to the arguments over this text. Here's the way it is rendered in the NASV. A man of many friends comes to ruin. Isn't that a strange text? A man of many friends comes to ruin. What's the thought behind it? Let me suggest this. Friends are costly to have, for friends love. Friendship requires time and effort, and therefore real friendship is something you're going to have to pour your heart and your soul into. Therefore, you cannot afford the luxury of too many friends. Because you haven't got that much love to give. Love is a, is, a, is a precious ointment. And you've got to pour it out carefully. And the Word of God is saying, we don't have the luxury of having a whole host, an entourage of friends. You've got to pick a few. Because in being a true friend, they're going to require from you everything. Heart and soul. Time and effort. That's the character of friendship. And I want to see it displayed and manifest in the life of Jonathan and David. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel 23 verses 15 to 18. Here's what we read. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph, in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went 
to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. There are two things manifest in this text about love. Because you will realize in reading 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel that David and Jonathan truly loved each other. In fact, David said of Jonathan, his love was more precious than the love of women. There's nothing perverted or sinful about that. For a friend loves. And David and Jonathan loved each other. And we see love manifest in two very practical ways. Because love is a verb. It's, a, it's an action. It's not a concept or a definition. We find it here living itself out in the life of David and Jonathan. Love loves to serve. Love loves to serve. Look at it. Jonathan goes out to meet David at his time of need. Love is not a sponge. It's a channel. And when Jonathan went out to meet David, friend, he had everything to lose and nothing to gain. After all, David was an outlaw, and by protecting him, he was running the risk of infuriating his father. Plus, he was helping the very man who threatened his own future, the pretender to the throne. But that concern for Jonathan's safety and Jonathan's future was submerged beneath the love that he had for David. And he went out and he served him. You know what the word Jonathan means in the Hebrew? It means the Lord is giver or the Lord has given. And Jonathan's life is stamped with that character of selflessness and giving. And can I say to you young people this morning, in true friendship, you will make the other person royalty. There ought to be no hooks in such friendship, no desires to manipulate or control or piggyback to success. Simply a loving desire for the best for the other. Jonathan was willing to lose everything if his only gain would be the pleasure and profit of David. That's love. Love loves to serve. And that's the character of friendship. Luge Terracio had a passion for rare violins. And he poured nearly every dollar he made into acquiring as many as he could. A total of 246 exquisite instruments. After his death, people found these violins hidden in his house. Some were crammed in a small attic, others in the bottom of a drawer of a old rickety bureau. Paricio, in his intense love for the violin, had prevented these instruments from being played and had thereby deprived thousands of people of beautiful music. Now, not many of us would be tempted this morning to hoard musical instruments. However, there is a subtle temptation that will come to every one of us, myself included. And that is to live our lives with the desire to get rather than to give. To hoard rather than distribute. To accumulate rather than serve and put to use. And in the context of friendship, 
The philosophy of hoarding and keeping stops the flow of the music of friendship just as surely as Tarissio stopped the flow of violin music by hoarding the instruments. Love loves to serve. Love loves to strengthen. That's the second mark of love within the context of friendship. It strengthens. What do we read? Verse 16, Then Jonathan Saul's son arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened, strengthened his hand in the Lord. Oh, what a beautiful manifestation of friendship. Here's David. He's a spiritual giant. He's the slayer of Goliath. He's the patistic poet. He's the leader of men. But at this moment, at this moment in his life, he's in danger of bitterness, despair, depression. He needs pumped up spiritually. He needs strengthened and fortified. He needs lifted. There comes Jonathan. A man fit for the task. A true friend who wants to serve and come underneath and lift and strengthen. He didn't come to David and offer him a free subscription to some help group. Nor did he present himself as the cure to David's problems. No, he pointed him to God. He strengthened his hand in God. That's what friends do. He took him directly to the source of the solution to his problem. He took him to God. I'm sure this involved prayer and instruction and mutual worship. He didn't minimize the problem like some silly friends do. He maximized the opportunity. He used this as a moment to move David closer to God. True friendship gets us back in the saddle. And through the stirrups of godly counsel helps us to stay there. Each of us Each of us need the tightest touch. 2 Corinthians 7, 6 and 7, you'll realize that that Paul was facing a difficult moment in his life. Titus comes and it says that he was comforted by the coming of Titus. The walls of true friendship are built and fortified through the bricks of prayer, instruction, and mutual worship. Friendship ought to be triangular with God at the apex. As friends, perhaps we enjoy a walk around the golf course. But when was the last time you and your friend knelt down together in the season of prayer? As friends, we might enjoy an evening meal together in a local restaurant. But when was the last time you sat down with each other and fed upon the milk and the honey of God's Word? When's the last time you strengthened the hand of your friend in God? Friendship is discipleship. That's at the heart and intent of true friendship. True friendship leaves you in a better condition than when it found you. True friendship adds inches and feet to your spiritual stature. 
David was a better man because Jonathan was the best of friends. As part of an assignment for a doctoral thesis, a college student spent a year with a group of Navajo Indians on a reservation in southwest America. As he had his research, he lived with one family sleeping in their hut, eating their food, working with them, and generally living the life of a 20th century Indian. The old grandmother of the family spoke no English at all, but became a very close friend with the young student. They spent a great time together in friendship and meaningful interaction. They broke a little of the language barrier. She learned a little English and he learned a little Navajo. As he prepared at a future date to leave, and the pickup truck was being loaded with all his stuff, the old grandmother came to tell him goodbye. And with tears streaming from her eyes, she placed her hand on either side of his face. She looked him directly in the eyes and she said this in broken English, I like me best when I'm with you. I I believe that's a true expression of friendship. I like me best when I'm with you because a friend builds and matures and disciples and strengthens the hand in God. That's the character of friendship. It loves and that love serves and strengthens. That's the circle of friendship. My time's gone, but I want to say something that's important in consideration of the constancy of friendship. The constancy of friendship, and I'll be finished in a few moments. A friend loves at all times. At all times. We're to be fall-weather friends, not fur-weather friends. There ought to be no exceptions, no mitigating circumstances to our friendship. The Bible is against throwaway friendships. Don't you use people on this campus. Don't you build a superficial, shallow friendship with someone when you know deep down in your heart you have no intention of following it through. Because that hurts and that harms and it's against God's order for friendship. Friends are constant and caring and loving Friends are faithful. And when I preach this in my church, I had two things to say, and time doesn't allow me to say it this morning. Friends are faithful in their words. A whisperer says, book of Proverbs, separates friends. He that repeateth a matter separates friends. So be careful with your tongue and how you speak about your friends. Don't be one thing to their face and something else behind their back. I can't say any more than that this morning. Think about it and develop that yourself. Constancy in your speech and the way you talk about that friend. Faithful in your words, but here's where I want to take two minutes or three minutes and finish. Faithful in your wounds. Faithful in your wounds. Proverbs 27 and verse 6. Proverbs 27 and verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now, while you're not to say bad things about your friends, that's not to say that you're not to communicate some hard things to your friends. Because the Word of God says true friendship allows for rebuke. It allows for admonition. Charles Bridges in his classic commentary in Proverbs said this, The genuineness of friendships without this mark is more than doubtful and its usefulness utterly paralyzed. If you've got a friend who never rebukes or admonishes you, who buttons his lips or zips her lips when it comes to seeing things in your life that they know God would want to change, they're not a friend. 
Because friends are faithful, even if it means wounding. As iron sharpeneth iron, there's conflict there. There's friction there. And part of the friction of friendship includes times when you go to your friend and say, you know what? That's not the way God would have you to live. You were wrong. And I want to help you make things right. Because you know what? Too often we don't want that pain in our friendships. We want painless friendships. We want admirers, not friends. Friendship is far more beneficial to us than admiration because it makes sanctifying demands upon our character. The trouble with too many of us is that we fear the pain and therefore we prefer admirers to true friends. We want those who will scratch our back and slap us on the back rather than have a friend who will put sanctifying demands upon the relationship and call you to holiness. The Apostle Peter liked the admiration of the Judaizers, but he needed the friendship of the Apostle Paul. He came along and withstood him to his face, and it was a faithful wound for which Peter lived to thank Paul. The problem with so many friendships today is that there's not enough who are strong enough to rebuke and too many who are weak and unwilling to receive it. Proverbs tells us there's a wise man who receives a rebuke. In this campus, where I believe there is a proper and a true focus on discipleship and holiness, young people seek True friendships, not painless friendships. We minister here in Santa Clarita. You, as a campus, are placed here within Santa Clarita. I finish where I began. What a witness to this community. Should the mealman come in? Should the delivery man come in? Should the journalist come in? Should the visitor come in? And they look around this campus and they can detect manifestly the joy and the truth of Christian friendship. And they go away and they'll say, how they love one another. What a witness. What a witness. And I tell you, if you will build a fraternity of friendship and a society of true Christian friendship, what blessing, what blessing God will pour out upon this campus. Because when brothers and sisters dwell in unity, that's pleasant to us. It's glorifying to God. And God the Holy Spirit will move in and command the, the blessing. Remember the circle of friendship. Remember the rule of development. You've got to be a friend to have a friend. Remember the rule of discernment. Choose your friends carefully. Seek friends who will build you up in Christ and sanctify you. Remember that at the heart of friendship, it's not fun, it's love. It's not what you get, it's what you give. It may even mean your weakness because you give yourself out to the strengthening of others. And remember that is something you ought to be constantly developing and discerning. And be faithful in your words and be faithful in your wounds.
Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this school, for the ministry that many of the professors and the, and the students have had in my own life and my family's life as we have settled down. We thank you for the welcome, for the warmth of friendship we have felt. And I would pray, O oh God, as this semester begins, that indeed each dormitory and each campus activity might manifest itself in true Christian friendship. And that your word, the nuts and bolts theology of Proverbs, will help us construct a life that satisfying to us and glorifying to you. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.